1: Uh, So enjoyed um, life rhythms over January I've said that before and hence the title of this one that we're in at the moment facing our future living our rhythms and we know that the future is changing um, day by day as we watch the news um, and what's going on and you can't without trying to warp it into end time theology Um, I don't need to do that because um, if you're reading the same Bible as I, you can rest assured that these are things that are happening. The Bible talks about wars and rumors of wars, talks about strange things happening all over the world, pestilences, famines, all of this goes on. The love of many will grow cold in the end times. And Jesus said, when these things begin to happen, look up. Because your redemption draws nigh. So up until Easter, we're going to press into this theme um, about what the future looks like and how to know God better, how we can access Him in our lives. And also, we're going to look a little bit at spiritual warfare over the next four weeks, this week included, and then the next three. We're going to talk a little bit about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare should be a normal part of the Christian's earthly life. All right. I grew up thinking that it shouldn't be, um, but there is a strategic way to do this without giving the enemy too much credit. The Lord has given us the tools to win, and um, we need to understand that. And when we live in the eternal realm and we have prosperity in our souls, um, I would that you prosper, um, the Bible says, as your soul prospers, and that word soul is is your psyche, that's the word it means there, your mind uh, would, would have you prosper as your soul prospers. So as we live in that eternal realm of prosperity of the soul, we can win every time. And the enemy's tactics, of course, is to get us to think that we are just broken and we can't sustain and we can't do anything in this life. And it kills our heavenly citizenship. That's what he aims to do. And uh, though we haven't lost any power um, we act as if we have. He depletes our power. It's still there. We're believers. We have Christ within us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. But we live as if we had no power, because the enemy depletes it. And I'm going to talk about that over the next few days. And then what happens is when we do that, we live from a stronghold of fear. We begin to fear everything. And um, and many people I've spoken to, even in the last week, have. Are fearful of the news, fearful of what they're watching, and so what can happen is it opens it up to fear and not faith. And fear and faith are opposites. They're like oil and water; they don't mix. All right, you can't have faith and fear living in you. And um, then what happens is we just have a hard time defeating the enemy, um, and uh, who has actually lost his power, <laughs> and he's just deceiving us. That's his big. That's his big arsenal of weaponry, his deception. And so if he can deceive the church and can deceive um, God's people into thinking they're powerless and don't have any authority, then that's where he wins. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be taking a look at within ourselves, how to make ourselves spiritually fitter, how to be better vessels through whom God can flow, and how we can live with no hold-ups and no hold-backs. that sound okay? That's what we're going to do for the next um, three weeks. So what I'm going to talk about this morning is um, what surrender looks like. What does surrender look like? Um, And there's no better way to look at the life of surrender than to look at the life of Jesus. I wrote this in my little ramble for the email on Friday about how when we look around the world and see world leaders and we see them clambering for power and we see them flex their muscles with their tanks and warfare, and all of that. We see Jesus in John 13 grabbing a towel, stooping at the feet of his disciples and washing their feet. What an act of surrender. What an act of humility we see from the greatest leader ever to live. Now back in 2018, I've told you this before, I was heading into a new decade and I was praying and fasting about what God had in store. I've got a prop this morning. I have a real one of these, by the way, but um, I have a real one, but I was afraid to bring it in case somebody online would take the wrong. So this is plastic, by the way. It's not real, okay? Um, uh, so I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit this morning about spiritual warfare, and especially around the idea of communion that we'll look at in a minute. So to do that, I need to tell you a story. Um, Uh, I I was trying really hard back in 2018 to figure out what this decade would hold for me in the midst of all of that, and um, I I felt the call to intercession through a word that Lauren gave me here in church, and um, I've always been intrigued with spiritual warfare, ever from I was a boy, uh, the fight excited me, and um, still does, and I felt like... um, it'd be great one day to stand shoulder to shoulder with the king of kings and be a warrior and be a fighter. I remember that as a little boy. And so what I did was I began to read all I could on intercession. I read the best on it. And, um, and the more I read on it, the more I convinced myself it wasn't for me, the more I convinced myself that I couldn't probably do that. And, um, and of course, God had a different plan. And the first of this began with a study of strongholds. I began to study strongholds, and the reason I began to study strongholds was I began to try and break them in my life. I began to realize when I turned 60, believe it or not, that there were still some strongholds in my life that I hadn't dealt with. And I began a battle with some of those strongholds, and most of you will know if you've been a Christian any length of time that your greatest fights are usually with God, not with the enemy. (laughs) The greatest battles are usually with God, when God tries to battle through something in your life. And so I know you've seen this many times, but it bears many repeats because I think it's really important. This is my own little system that I drew out on the flip chart, and then Warwick um, um, helped me. Well, he didn't help me, he did it. Um, He put this together for me for the keynote. And so basically, it's my idea of what a stronghold is. Well, I think the Bible teaches a stronghold is, and you can see down in the bottom line there, it's a house made of thoughts. So our thought life is really, really important. And there's misconceptions about how to bring down strongholds. Like There's a misconception in Pentecostal circles that the, sh- the louder we shout, um, the, the more we drive out the devil. So raising our voice frightens demons. Raising our voice doesn't, fight, doesn't frighten demons. There's loads of misconceptions about this, all right, that we're going to address over the next two or three weeks, but it's a house built of thoughts, all right, and um, basically what happens is the enemy warps our mind with his lies, and he begins to lie to us about who we are, and we begin to believe those lies, and as we begin to believe those lies, you'll see the next step up, what we do is we actually begin to value them. We begin to think they're true. We begin to to think they're true, and so because we think they're true, then we actually live in that lifestyle. We start to live that lifestyle that I'm no good, I'm not good enough, and I'm not as good as them, and I'm too fat, I'm too thin, on and on we could go. I'm not as good as them, I couldn't pray like that. And we, we build that lifestyle on the value system of a wrong thought pattern. And then what happens is the enemy loves this stuff, so what he does is he just feeds this and he comes and he closes in in a bondage and he creates a bondage of our thought patterns and we build a house that's basically what it is a house it's a house made of thoughts and you can see the little red line there where the enemy moves in he just moves in he opens that door into our value system and he just he just feeds the loop and that's the way a stronghold works The way to destroy a stronghold, what I want to do over the next couple of weeks, I want to teach you how to build a good stronghold, because there's such a thing as a good stronghold, all right? And a good stronghold is built the exact same way. A good stronghold is, and the, the reason we know we can build a good stronghold is because the Bible tells us, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. And the word for stronghold there is the word mischive, which in the Hebrew means a fortress or a high tower or a beachhead, somewhere where you can hold the enemy. And basically, a good stronghold is built out of good thought patterns. And then what happens is the exact same thing happens. Instead of the devil moving in, the Holy Spirit moves in. See the red line? See the change? The Holy Spirit moves in, and the loop begins to happen, and we begin to feed ourselves rightly with the Word of God, and we, um, uh, we live in that loop. The way to destroy a stronghold, I'll get in more to this next week, the way to destroy a stronghold, and again, I've told you this, is not by ripping the roof off, and I think that's what happens. Many people try to rip the roof off, and the problem is the, va- the, the thought patterns and the value system and the lifestyles are still there. They even actually go as far as to rip the roof off, r- roof off and try to change their lifestyle. But the problem is the thought pattern's still old and the value system still old. And so what happens is very quickly then we get back into the old habit. That's why habits are Hard to break, and so the way to break, the way to build a good stronghold is, or the way to, to actually destroy an old stronghold is to destroy it from the ground up. We change the way we think. That's what Romans 12 means by renewing our mind. And you renew your mind by um, the Word of God. Let's have my hatchet over here. We re- renew our mind by the Word of God by filling our minds. This is why this is so important. This is why I do a devotion every morning. I'm not needing to do that just for... It's not, it's not just for excitement I'm doing that, and it's not just for the need of something to do. The reason I'm doing that every morning is to, is to get people into the Word of God, to get you into the Word of God. If I can get you into a daily pattern... The Holy Spirit can get you into a daily pattern of washing yourself with the Word. That's what Ephesians 5 talks about. Then something begins to happen. This, this Word will change you. This Word will change you. I'm telling you, if you let it, it will change you. And hence, the, the reading plan is so, so important. So, what we're going to talk about this morning a little bit in what surrender looks like is we're going to talk a little bit about healing, deliverance, and communion because healing and deliverance is actually in communion. And Dave did a phenomenal job last week introducing us back into communion as we come to do this weekly. Um, And it's a a talk really worth listening to again if you haven't already heard it. um, And I've listened to it a couple of times this week and uh, found myself challenged about communion once again. And so what I want to do next week, I'm going to talk about breakthrough in yourself and then the following week, we're going to talk about what happens when breakthrough happens in a community. And then the third week, what we're going to go do, we're going to talk about what happens when breakthrough happens in uh, our, our nation. Um, because I think that's what will happen. I think we're living in a day in which the... Um, I'll put a, a word from Christine Westhoff last night into Dave, to Dave and I. And um, it was so in line with what God has been saying to me lately about the the gentleness of this move of God. I think we're living in a time when we're going to see the most powerful move of God, but it's going to come in such a whisper and such a gentle move. If you're not in tune with the Spirit, you won't hear it. And when it happens, it will happen with power and with might, but it come it's going to come in such a gentle manner It's going to come through listening. It's going to come having our ear tuned to his voice. Now, let me tell you a story. Um, The Wizard of Oz was um, one of my favorite movies. And when I was 12, um, I was going to the intermediate, which is junior high school, and they they did a school play. And in the school play, they did The Wizard of Oz, and I... I fancied doing one of the leading roles I fancied doing the scarecrow or the tin man I knew I wouldn't make the scarecrow because he was the main character and there was a guy called John Shane who was a really good friend of mine and he got the role of scarecrow and so I thought I would audition for the tin man and so I did a bit of work on the tin man and I found out who he was his name was Nick Chopper just in case you didn't know that and, um, and weird child as I was, I did all my um, homework around the tin man and um, only to be told by my school teacher that I had a thick head and good hands. His words, not mine. He said, Emerson, you have a thick head and good hands. So they made me a stage hand. And I was devastated, <laughs> devastated. Um, he said, in one of his other lines, he said, um, um, weak, weak mind and strong arms, that's what he told me. I uh, Can I tell you a little story? Whenever I started my own cold run, he became one of my customers, and unbeknown to him, he didn't know who I was, and I loved taking his money. <laughs> I'm just confessing. Sorry, I know I'm a really bad person, but when he paid me, I remembered this line every time. I replayed that line as I walked back out to my little lorry, I put that money in my flip over wallet. I reminded that line. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, But the myth about the, back to the word, the myth about, well, this isn't really the word of the minute, but um, we're getting there. The myth around the tin man is that he was a woodcutter called Nick Chopper. And he fell in love with a servant girl. And this servant girl was a servant girl to an old lady who didn't want to lose her. And so she asked the Wicked Witch of the West to put a curse on Nick. And, um, and she cursed his axe. What she done was she cursed his axe. And she cursed his axe so that every time he would use his axe, every time he would chop, he would cut off a limb and his limb would be replaced by tin. And so every time he used his axe, a limb would be replaced by tin until he became totally the tin man, and when he became the tin man, there was nowhere for his heart to reside. Sound familiar? (laughs) Um, What happened was um, the enemy came against him and dismembered him in a way. And our enemy, the devil, has an (laughs) axe, and he uses it in our minds And he tells us we're no good. And he tells us this, that, and the other thing. And he chops from us limb by limb until we actually believe his lies. And we come to a system where we feel and believe that we are no good. We believe that they are so much better than us. We believe that we're not good enough. Chopping off limb by limb. Many in this room have become lifeless and your heart has become dull if not deadened to the things of God. Now, let me tell you another story. Um, Better story than that. Um, On the night Jesus was betrayed, he gathered a bunch of his friends in the room. Every single one of them, just like you and me, could have been guilty of allowing themselves, their spiritual limbs have been chopped off. James and John, they weren't called the sons of thunder for nothing. When a village didn't respond to the word of God, they said to Jesus, let's call down fire and brimstone and just burn them all up. Um, Peter, just hours from this, he would deny he even knew Jesus, throwing in a few strong adjectives to make it believable. Judas, about to betray him and lose his soul, um, selling him for the price of a slave. And then with Matthew, a tax collector, used to feathering his own nest and keeping a few bob for himself. Thomas, best known as Doubting Thomas. (laughs) What a title. On and on I could go. And what happened was he gathered them in a room and he took bread, a bit like this here, and he broke the bread. He broke the bread. And he made a statement and he said to them, this is my body which is broken for you. Interesting, isn't it? Um, And then he said, do this in remembrance of me. Pretty strong talk, isn't it? In remembrance of me. And um, Jesus knew that in a few hours, the acts of the enemy would come upon him and dismember him. Dismember him from the love of a father. Dismember him from the Godhead And the heaven and the place that he loved, laying aside his deity, he would allow the enemy to chop him from that moment. Allowing himself to be dismembered, as it were, for us that we might remember him. And then he said this he took the cup, and it said here, he said, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. He said, drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you do something. And we miss this sometimes. He says, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, what does that mean? To proclaim the Lord's death. Why would you want to proclaim the Lord's death? Well, every time you proclaim the Lord's death, you proclaim this. You proclaim that the price of was about to be paid. That's what Jesus was saying. When you proclaim the Lord's death, he was saying the price was about to be paid for us to abide in God and God to abide in us forever. That was a holy moment. That was a moment like no other. This was all about Calvary. And uh, we need to remember this. Jesus was putting himself in that place where he would be, figuratively speaking, dismembered. Therefore, what I'm going to say this morning, if we have trouble getting over issues and memories and addictions and various negative patterns in our lives, what we need is we need more of Jesus. We need to begin to proclaim the Lord's death in our lives. Something we need to be delivered from mindsets and dark thoughts that torment us because when we give way to them, there's no room for Jesus to live via the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I believe that communion is at the core existence of this. It's the core of our existence as a people. And unbeknownst to many, healing and deliverance often play a major role in it. And the power of communion is far more than just a simple act of a sacrament. It's far more than just what sometimes we make it to be. You see, Jesus put it like this. Jesus says, My flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Now, that verse alone has created all kinds of consternation down through the ages. Many believe in a uh, transubstantiation, that this is an actual thing, that the bread and the cup Turn into the, the body and the blood of Jesus when we handle it. Now context will help us understand just what Jesus is saying as we consider everything, because this comes from John six. And if you, if you read the context, because what you need to do is you need to be really careful about allowing a verse to define exactly what you think. You use the Bible to define the Bible. And so you, you need to find the context of what Jesus is saying here. And, um, and so, if you go back to the first 13 chapters of, or 13 verses of the chapter, you'll find that he's just fed 5,000 people, actually probably 10,000 plus people, 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And the next day, the multitudes continue to follow him, and they're seeking another meal. <laughs> they're looking their bellies filled. He's filled them. And, so, and Jesus is pointing out Their short-sighted behavior, they were only seeking physical bread, but there was something more important, and Jesus said that in verse 27. He says, you need to look for the food that endures to eternal life. He checked them in this. He said, which the Son of of Man will give you. He says, it's not just about your belly getting filled. There's so much more in this. And at this point, Jesus attempts to turn their perspective away from physical sustenance, to a true need, which was spiritual. And Jesus could see this. And to prevent them being misconstrued even further, Jesus specified that he'd been speaking metaphorically. And he says this in verse 63. He says, the spirit gives life. life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, he says, are full of spirit and life. So he says, I'm speaking metaphorically. I'm not speaking in physical terms. And those who misunderstood Jesus were offended by his talk about eating his flesh and drinking his blood because they, they were stuck in a physical mindset and they were ignoring the things of the spirit and they were concerned with getting a, another physical meal. So Jesus uses the realm of the physical to teach a vital spiritual truth. And those who couldn't make the jump from physical to spiritual actually turned their backs and walked away from Jesus. Verse 66 tells us that. They couldn't handle the statement, and they walked away. And that's why the, at the Last Supper, Jesus gives a similar message to the one that um, uh, we just read. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says the exact same thing. He says that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Their act of eating and drinking was to be a symbol of their faith in Christ. Just as physical food gives earthly life, Christ's sacrifice on the cross gives heavenly life. And essentially what he was saying, if you abide in me, whatever I am is yours. That's what he's saying. Whatever I have is yours. But in order to appropriate this, you have to understand what you're doing when you do it. And uh, I can almost see Jesus handle the sacraments a bit like this and saying, guys, if you could get there, this is me. This, this, is a, this, this is more than just a physical meal. This is about me. This is about having me in totality in your life. This is the manna that came down from heaven that John 6, 58 talks about. And when we're in alignment with God, and this is the key, and we're gonna talk about this over the next two or three weeks, because so I wanna pray now. But when we're in alignment with God, whenever we get into alignment with heaven, right, um, uh, we will move whatever stands in our way, to get to our true destinies. And communion, I believe, is a starting point, a physical manifestation of a very powerful spiritual act. Um, And Jesus' choice of words is really powerful here because he calls us to remember him, and that's what we need to do. But here's the key. Here's the most beautiful thing. As we remember him this morning, he remembers us. As we remember him, he remembers us. He begins to put us back together. And the act of communion actually is a a process where we actually proclaim the Lord's death over our lives and say, I'm not believing that junk from the enemy anymore. And I am going to allow, as I remember the Lord, I am going to allow him to remember me. Amber's going to come and we're going to... um, I want to play that song faithful one that's a favorite of mine and Debbie and Amy are here this morning they'll know why that's a favorite we chose that song to sing at their mom's funeral and um, because it was a storm in our life and um, so I've always loved that song and I think there's power in it but here's the thing folks Jesus allowed himself to be torn apart that we might be put together Jesus allowed himself to be dismembered from the Godhead that we could be remembered towards him. It's the most beautiful thing. And so my question in the role of healing and deliverance this morning, my question to you is this. Three basic questions. Which part of you needs put back together this morning? What part of you is broken this morning that as we take communion could be a powerful act of being put together? Or 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 where do you need to be made whole? Or what would it look like if the if for the power of God to to begin to remember you this morning? Remember that's a deliverance in whatever capacity can play a key role in true communion. I believe that. And two separate entities cannot actually exist in the one body. And so as one um, starts to rise, the other starts to deplete. And so as we give way to that, and so here, here's the thing, the more we have of him, the less influence the enemy can have on, on us. And I, listen to me here, I understand the issue of habit, habits. Honestly, I do. I'm a scoundrel when it comes to habits. I know what habits can do. And I know they take time to break. I know that. But I also understand the power of demonic forces that can exaggerate habits and make them seem impossible to overcome. And I think that's what the enemy likes to do. And both of these need to go. They need to go this morning. And communion is one of the most powerful yet misunderstood elements we're told to practice. Because it says that when you eat... Give me another five minutes, if you would. But um, if you eat this bread or drink this cup without honoring Christ, the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. And that's why many of you are weak and sick and some have already died. And you see, what had happened here, the Corinthians communion service had become corrupted. He wrote this to the church in Corinth. It had become corrupted with selfishness and drunkenness and discrimination against the poor. And participants were were neither honoring God nor edifying one another. Actually, in the early days in the church, Acts 2.46 tells us this, that the Christians celebrated the Lord's Supper with feasts. So they would come together to have a feast to remember the Lord. The problem was some of the Corinthians people were favoring the wealthy and privileged and they were neglecting the poor. And some participants remained hungry while others actually got drunk at the Lord's table. Startling, isn't it? And um, the Corinthians were publicly overindulging in their church services and discriminating against the poor, and therefore their actions, Paul said, were equivalent to despising the body of Christ. There's more context to that, a bigger um, conversation sometime. But here's the deal. If many are sick, and I said this at the prayer meeting on Wednesday night, if many are weak weak and sick, amongst you and some have died then the opposite of that's true (laughs) it means that many can be healed (laughs) and there's life in this so if there's sickness and death if you do it wrong (laughs) there's life and healing if you do it right that's it it just makes sense that doesn't it and so I was praying this week and I uh we're going to commune together and um Uh, we're going to take the the bread and the cup and um, I want to pray for some things. I was asking the Lord all week, I was fasting and praying a little bit this week and I was asking the Lord about some things and this is not an exhaustive list, it might look like it is, but I kept waking, God kept waking me every night this week and giving me another one and another one and another two and another two and I just kept making notes and notes and notes And, um, and they're just names, you see, To you, they're a big real thing, but they're just names. They're a name that, praise God for our doctors and nurses, but they're just a name that must bow their knee to the greatest name of all, the name of Jesus. And what I'd love right now as we close this service this morning, I love if you're suffering from any of these things or if there's something else and someone has put a label on you or on your child and you're not happy with that label, and you would love a healing touch of God this morning, I'd love you to stand right now where you are, because I want to pray for you this morning. And I'd love for all of those who are standing in the room this morning, just as we stand and we appropriate the power of God in communion, if you've got communion with you, this is your moment to do it if, if you want to run the gra- grab one at the back the guys are at the back there's some on the table there if you want to get one it might be great to do that if you haven't got one just um, grab it we'll we get back into putting them into the four corners again in the next few weeks because I'm missing this and some of our elders have been saying how we really miss this but as we do this here l- l- we want to bind the enemy this morning over our families, over our, over the lies that he's spoken into our lives to dismember us. We are going to remember the Lord this morning and allow him to remember us. So God, I want to ask you right now by the power of the blood of Jesus that was shed in Calvary, God, that you would demolish every lie of the enemy in this room this morning. We pray over every sickness that's on this screen and the ones that aren't on the screen that people are standing for, that the people online at the moment are maybe kneeling in their rooms or standing in their rooms. God, we pray your healing touch right now in the name of Jesus. We declare the name of Jesus over every medical ailment. We declare the name of Jesus this morning over every mental issue. We declare the name of Jesus to set you free this morning. We destroy the acts of the enemy by the power of the word of God this morning. And we declare that there is victory in Christ. There is victory in Christ. We walk out of this place as Dave started this morning, not through the same door that we came in through. We walk out with a measure and a Uh, like the woman in Mark 5 that said she felt in her body that she was healed. I would love, Amber's going to sing that song as a prayer over you this morning. You can join in on it, but I want it to be a prayer. I'd love you to stay standing. And if you have communion, to take communion as Amber sings this prayer over you, if you haven't already done so, let's take it. Let's proclaim the Lord's death over your sickness this morning. Let's proclaim the Lord's death over whatever's going on in your mind this morning. Let's proclaim the Lord's death over your kids and over your grandkids this morning, over those titles that somebody has branded on you. Let's worship.
0: Faithful. Ta-
1: Father, I pray right now by whatever authority that you have given to us as leadership in this house and uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit we declare healing in this body in the name of Jesus. 25 years ago you gave us a promise of salvation and healing and we pray it this morning. May the gentle nudges and power of the Holy Spirit move in every life right now. By the power of your word, by the power of your word, we proclaim the Lord's death over every person in this room right now. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.